Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'll Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. For today's episode, we did want to start with a trigger warning. Um, we are talking about violence against women today. So obviously, violence against women being something, um, statistics on domestic and partner violence. Uh, we're going to be talking about rape and sexual assault and murder, a little bit about um, suicide and also uh, child abuse. So right. if any of those things are triggering for you, just um, keep your mental health in mind. Skip it if you have to. Right. And we're not going to go into too much gory detail. We know things are tough and it's a bit unsure. And though we don't want to be all doom and gloom, although I've been accused of that many a times, it's hard <laughs> to ignore the new reports coming about uh, violence against women, whether it's partner and domestic violence or within specific communities like the trans women of color or in the military. So today we do want to do a quick examination. And I mean, it is quick as per usual because there are so many things to be said, but we just definitely wanted to make sure that we acknowledge what's happening and also kind of talk about if there's if and what we can do to help. Absolutely. And also, as always, if there's something we talk about in here that you want us to come back and cover more in depth, just let us know. We're happy to to take those suggestions from you. Um, and uh, the show is about, about you listeners. So we want to give you material that you want. Oh, yeah. And this, just, just to put this caveat, we did have a listener message us about uh, the case of Vanessa Guillen, private first class Vanessa Guillen. And we do touch on that. Of course, we do want to do a bigger episode of what that includes and some of the um, connotations behind some of the studies. I will say, as per usual, it is somewhat limited, not as limited as other information, but we will try to dig into this a little deeper later. So thank you, listener. But we will try to do it again soon, I promise. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's start with uh, a look at the disturbing numbers we've seen around an increase of violence during this pandemic and COVID-19. So violence against women was a massive issue even before the pandemic, with one in three women and girls around the world reporting being victims of some type of violence in their lifetimes. And most of this is domestic and intimate partner violence. With the pandemic, the situation has become more dire in a lot of ways. Right. So according to the Human Rights Watch, they have stated that authorities should be worried about reports of rising gender-based violence in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic and associated lockdowns. According to the report, they state that an increase of gender-based violence due to the increased level of stress and issues of housing space or already difficult living situations are rising. They say that also due to the lack of community support and or no access to the internet, the most at-risk populations will likely be in danger. Some communities at most risk are women in residential institutions, as well as those who are disabled and being cared for in home situations and the elderly. Reports note that the higher risk of their health during COVID-19 can put them in more, quote, precarious positions in their dependency on the support system around them. There are so many uncertainties as we wait to see how things are affected and in turn whether life may ever get back to normal. But the reality is for some, this is a prison in a very dangerous situation. 
Right. So in regards to COVID-19, we did want to talk about the rise of domestic violence as well as intimate partner violence. And all around the world, numbers have risen, though numbers aren't crystal clear due to the vast underreporting. Remember, there's less than 40% who actually disclose and not even 10% of those numbers are ever reported to police. But but what has been noticed is the amount of calls to crisis centers in regards to domestic and partner violence that have been reported all over after the quarantine requirements from different countries. The UN reported the following numbers. Singapore and Cyprus report a 30% increase, Australia 40% increase, and France at 30% increase, and Argentina at a 25% increase in calls. And these numbers are from the middle of March, which, by the way, was in the middle of the crisis and for some of the countries at the beginning. Right. Um, And some of the reasons behind this increase, outside of that heightened stress, is the fact that the victims cannot easily leave their home. And and due to shelters overcrowding and limiting space because of the pandemic, many organizations, including nonprofits in certain areas like the Salvation Army, have made extra efforts by allowing victims to signal if they are in distress and in need of assistance, like with notes and things like that. And organizations have seen an increase in needs for relocation assistance for many victims who can't move on their own, whether it is because of finances or because of lack of availability. And just a reminder, according to the CDC, without more detailed data from the pandemic, one in four women experience some type of partner violence, while one in 10 men do as well. And the numbers in the U.S. are alarming. Records show the percentage of increase are between 18 to 27 percent From March 2019 to March 2020, these numbers come from just a few um, cities, but they do show an increase of incidents. We also wanted to spotlight the dangers of those with disabilities during pandemics. According to reports, young people with disabilities are three times more likely to experience some type of sexual violence than those who are not disabled. And those with disabilities are more often left behind during a time of crisis and are even ignored when looking for solutions. And according to the same UN report, there are at least one out of seven people who have a disability, which would make up at least one billion people who are classified as disabled and at times of pandemic are altogether not considered when policies are discussed for accessibility and future response and care. And when discussing protection for those who are in abusive situations, the disabled population is at much higher risk. And we should also mention the added layer if the individual is a woman, a person of color, or a part of the LGBTQIA's population. And the access given to such a vulnerable population is limited and even more so isolating as they may need assistance from their caretaker who may be the abusers as well. Yeah, and and something else we want to touch on is um, violence against trans women. Um, The numbers may not be due to the pandemic, but we have seen a rise in violence against the transgender community. As of this week, which is uh, July 14th, there have been 21 deaths in the trans community, which is almost up to the 27 deaths last year. And technically, We're only over halfway through, believe it or not. And Mm. as we continue to see violence against the transgender community, just a reminder that 52% of the victims of hate violence are transgender, and 40% of those people are transgender women of color as of 2017, and we just see this continue to escalate. 
And we've previously talked about it, but when it comes to transgender community being targeted by police and politics, we see an ever-growing debate about what rights should be allotted to whom. And with rhetoric such as Rawlings, which continue to dehumanize and belittle those who identify as transgender, is it isn't hard to see why violence and aggression continue to be seen and more accepted, which is appalling in almost every freaking way. Yes, yes. Um... It is. And we have uh, more things to talk about that are also appalling. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Something else we wanted to talk about since a lot of us are spending more time online during this time of staying in is online harassment and doxing, which is publicly sharing someone's private info, like their address, without their consent. We've touched on this and uh, related things in a handful of recent episodes because it is such a massive issue. And we've talked about some of the scarier things specifically too, like deep fakes, um, revenge porn. And I have been doxxed before, and it is very, very scary. And this, I think it happened, um, I mean, maybe five or six years ago. It's been a while. And I still, uh, because I live in the same place, I still think about it when I leave my house. Um, Some dude was like, if anyone's in the area, wants to shut her up, here's her address. Mm -hmm. And um, it caused this whole big thing at work, and we had to go through training, and we had to get security guards in, and we had to get these programs that's supposed to delete your address if it's published anywhere. Um, and we still have a lot of those in place to this day. So yeah, it's a, it's a very scary, scary thing. Yeah, I feel like us uh, being, and we have a great community, so I'm not too worried, but just in case someone comes in who just wants to be a little angry, I'm like a little scared of what could happen. Mm-hmm. Hopefully no one could get me. Peaches is a fierce. Uh, <laughs> so this is a widespread problem. According to a 2017 Pew Research study, 40% of Americans reported experiencing online harassment and 60% reported having witnessed it. Folks in the LGBTQ plus community and people of color and women are twice as likely to be targeted when compared to men. That's not surprising. And as we've seen during Black Lives Matter protests and the pandemic, and the pandemic, there's been a rise in online harassment of Black journalists and other outspoken Black voices, scientists, people in public health, and Asian and Asian Americans. And this is an attempt to intimidate people into silence, as we actually witnessed with that one police officer who decided to dox that state worker who ended up getting brutally raped. Yeah. Um, and one aspect of this is cyberbullying. So yes, it seems be best isn't working. Um, <laughs> Recently, in Japan, a uh, young pro wrestler and reality TV star Hana Kimura took her own life, reportedly in part due to hundreds of harassing comments. Journalist and one of the faces of Japan's Me Too movement, Shiori Ito, spoke about this issue at a press conference, um, and she talked about how um, in, in the three years after she accused a prominent media figure in Japan of rape, she has received over 700,000 hate messages, some sent to her, her family and friends. She filed a lawsuit against three of these harassers, one of them a cartoonist who made a cartoon suggesting that she had made a false accusation. She made the whole thing up. Right. And one of the reasons this is so frightening 
And no joke, there's an entire category of horror movies dedicated to it, which I haven't watched much of. Oh, I is have. How, I'm sure. Is how difficult it can be to hold people accountable for their actions of harassment online. It can take multiple court proceedings, which is so much time and so much money in most of instances, actually. And the burden of proof is ridiculously difficult. If someone made the hate post in a question at an internet cafe or somewhere similar, it can be almost impossible to pin down the identity of the poster. Yeah, and I know I've talked about this before. Um, working for in media and at an internet company, there is a kind of gray area of... Because um, there's sexual harassment policies at at your job, most likely. But if your job requires you to engage with these comments that are harassing, we've had meetings about it. Like, right. what does this entail? What does it look like? What what can we put in place to protect people? Um, and it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Some social media platforms are taking some steps to crack down on cyberbullying, allowing for the removal of hate messages, reporting tools, warning people about possible hate messages. This process, too, is not as black as white um, as as it might seem, it's not as easy as just reporting and then the problem goes away. Or I reported Donald Trump on Twitter about ten times, I think. Um, I think me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here in the U.S., high school student Trisha Prabhu invented an app called Rethink that analyzes messages for offensive words and does sort of a, are you sure, <laughs> before you post, um, or she was in high school at the time. According to her, 93% of adolescents change their mind after the message. Oh, that sounds about right. That's, I mean, if that's true, that's really promising, but it would take the required step that you would Download it. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. this is why I'm grateful that I didn't have social media like right. that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because I post many uh, angsty stuff on my Zanga sites. <laughs> I want to know so much you about that. You will never that. know. Anyway, we're going to go back to domestic and or intimate partner violence, uh, where technology plays a huge role in that. Even before the pandemic, 75% of women and girls report being the target of violence made possible by some type of cyber or technological tool. And this can be things like revenge porn, death or rape threats, monitoring and or stalking. And honestly, one of the things that was talked about in one of the UN articles was the fact that the phone is heavily used to stalk as well as to intimidate many people, uh, many mm-hmm. of the partners when they're trying to leave. Right. This category encompasses the most common type of intimate partner victimization and is used to facilitate other types of violence. And this type of violence is linked with a range of negative physical and mental health outcomes, things like depression, substance abuse, and antisocial behavior and PTSD, and trauma. These more adversely impact marginalized communities, by the way. Yeah, and we've been talking uh, recently about how technology and and social media is often uh, used in grooming and and what that can lead to, and then um, how this level of monitoring uh, can really isolate someone when they need help. Uh, During the lockdown, when technology is more important than ever for a lot of us uh, to stay connected, forms of technological abuse include cutting off someone's access, yeah, monitoring their communications or stalking, non-consensual sharing of photos or forced watching of porn, and live streaming the sexual abuse of children. Um, Some abusers even use technology to cover up or attempt to cover up what they are doing. 
Compounding the problem is a lack of understanding of the issue by many, including people in law enforcement or or people in courts, um, and the lack of good resources to seek help. And court systems that frequently fail those that report or even blame them instead. Budget cuts to abuse hotlines and homeless shelters, that, that doesn't help either. All right. And I've seen many cases where the judicial system cannot keep up with the technology that is used yeah. to groom and abuse others and or go after people. It's, it's amazing how fast it just skips ahead and how far behind law enforcement and ju- the justice system really is. Yeah. So reports of online sexual abuse of children is on the rise during the pandemic as well. Um, And always a good reminder, a lot of those goes unreported, misreported, or just ignored. And according to the New York Times report, the number of images and videos depicting sexual abuse and the torture of a child reported by tech companies doubled between 2017 to 2018 to 45 million, and I want to vomit right now. Um, And this number has surged during the time of quarantine. And during the first few months of the pandemic, this material went up by 200% compared to the months before, while at the same time, the percentage of that material being taken down dropped by as much as 89%. And by the way, 90% of these images and videos are of girls. WebIQ, a cybersecurity company, found 9,255 credible links to child abuse material, more than tripled what it had been a month before, right when quarantine set in. Um, They also found 40,000 posts and forums around child abuse. (sighs) The slowing down and takedown is directly due to the pandemic as well, which reduced capacity, slower responses, resources shut down, and law enforcement has reported having to prioritize cases by age, which, by the way, is not uncommon. You will see that as well for defects workers or child abuse investigators and social workers, that they have to do it by type of abuse, by age, and by um, likelihood of death. Yeah, and I read um, interviews with people who are working on this, um, and I, just, I could, like, even though I was reading it, I could feel and hear the trauma in what they were saying of having to make those decisions. Right. Um, So there are some proposed technological solutions for a few of these issues that we've talked about in this wide category of online harassment and abuse. Um, Two-factor identification for devices, abuse-aware technology, um, which I read about and I see the potential for, but also kind of made me nervous. Um, And improved digital security. But these are definitely not widespread or without problems of their own. Some other solutions include making sure hotlines and online chat functions are funded, but also um, advertised so people know about these things. They know that these things exist for them. Um, Increased telehealth access provided by... um, companies or organizations. Um, There are apps for collecting evidence of violence, and some survivors are working on regenerative apps to foster kind and empathetic conversations. And just a reminder, we talked about this before, but a lot of the times, some of those perpetrators are also children and not understanding what they're doing and or doing it without thinking. And I will say, I 
I see plenty of teenagers who are revenge posting of their girlfriends who are also underage. So you have a 14, 15, 16-year-old who may have gotten a photo and using that as well, not understanding that they are actually distributing porn or and child porn. And just kind of a reminder for those parents out there, be on the lookout. It's not just just creepy old men lurking about, which by the way, there's plenty of those and that's gross enough, but a lot of the new trend, and we've been talking about it, I've been talking about it because it's one of the things that I've seen an increase of, is child-on-child perpetrators. And it's what they think is simple as this and easy to do, not realizing what they're doing is a felony. Right. Yeah. And also need to be taught a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) She just did a very stern finger point. I did. Listen, look, this is the social worker in me having to work with children and juveniles, at-risk kids. (laughs) I appreciated it. I felt You're it welcome. in my heart. My heart skipped a beat. Oh, no. This face, the stern face. Yes, it was very stern. Uh, the Harvard Business Review, with the help of a few experts, did compile a digital toolkit called the Online Harassment Field Manual to kind of help deal with all of what we're talking about. And the steps are, one, identify the abuse. They define online abuse as quote, repeated or severe targeting online of an individual or group through harmful behavior. So kind of asking yourself, is this just sort of a mean comment or is it, does it constitute abuse? Um, two, document the abuse. Three, assess your safety. Are they using your real name, address, number? Um, are they giving a time and place for threats, things like that? Um, four, block mute report, which might require enlisting the help of an ally or friend because this can cause escalation. We know that you know, if you get a, for instance, a restraining order from a stalker, sometimes that often uh, leads to escalation. Um, and you may need somebody to keep an eye out for that. So if you block somebody, you can't see it necessarily, but a friend of yours could. Um, bolster your cybersecurity, change those passwords, make sure they're uh, really strong ones. Um, enlisting help, enlisting allies. And speaking out, though, that one they, they said... Uh, comes with some caveats, like this is a very personal thing and won't be the same for everyone. They use the example of some people who report uh, like trolls to their moms. Uh, So it's different, that varies. Uh, And then eight, practice self-care. And these are all, uh, they have much more detailed uh, examples of what they mean on their site. So if you're interested, you can go check that out. And they also describe it as almost like uh, the grieving process where you don't have to do all the steps and you can do them in different orders, but Nice little toolkit that they put together. Um, so that is a massive, massive topic. Um, but those right. those are some of the big issues we're seeing right now um, when it comes to women. But we have we have a couple more areas we want to touch on. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. So we wanted to bring up another issue, um, and we're going to just touch on it today, but we will return to do a whole episode on this, and it's specifically what is going on with the women and children in Yemen. So Yemen has ranked last in the World Economic Forum Gender Gap Index since 2006. Yemen is in the midst of a major humanitarian crisis and one that has only worsened with COVID-19, and women and children are disproportionately impacted. And actually, our sister podcast at Ethnically Ambiguous, they actually did a whole episode on it as well. You should definitely go check it out because it's so 
compacted with a lot of good information and things that we should be talking about more. So 12 million children and 6 million women have required some type of humanitarian assistance over the span of the five years of conflict. Since the conflict's beginning, abuse and violence targeting women has jumped 63%, with adolescent girls being particularly impacted. An estimated 3 million women and girls are at risk for experiencing gender-based violence, and there aren't really any tools or systems to protect them or even get them justice. Women are also more likely to go without food. 1.1 million pregnant women and new moms are acutely malnourished, as are 2 million children, 5 are younger. More than half of the 3.6 million displaced are women, and many of those displaced end up in overcrowded and unsanitary conditions rife for spreading COVID-19. Organizations are doing what they can to help promote and implement public health initiatives with a focus on the most vulnerable of the population, ramping up prevention methods through education and protocols, getting life-saving supplies in place. Funding has threatened these programs. 30 of the 41 organizations doing this work are expected to close soon. They can't get the money to continue operating. Many on the ground are calling for a, a feminist approach to handling this crisis, one that centers on girls and women. I wonder what that would specifically look like and whether it would be permitted and how long it would survive. Yeah. Um, and as we talked about earlier, we did want to talk a bit about the case of private first class Vanessa Guillen. Uh, she was a woman who dreamt, like many did, since childhood of enlisting in the military. Her mother reported that she had always feared for her daughter and was hoping that she would eventually change her mind, but she didn't and joined with the hopes of protecting the country, right? pretty closely after graduating high school. Um, she was reported missing by her parents, and her body was not discovered until two months later. It took too long, in most people's opinions, for people to realize that there was something wrong. As it, and as it turned out, she was murdered and dragged in a, quote, tough box uh, by a fellow soldier from the base. She was later found dismembered uh, near Leon Lake, which... Weirdly enough, but, but probably not weirdly, another body was also found. The story began a nationwide conversation, um, helped in part along from the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen. Fellow soldiers or former soldiers began sharing their stories of sexual harassment and assault within the military. Vanessa told her mother before her death that she was being sexually harassed by a fellow soldier. There are so many stories of harassment and assault that have been happening within the military. According to reports in 2018, the Pentagon stated, according to one of their surveys, there was at least 20,500 instances. In 2019, that number increased by 10%. At one point in time, there was a decrease as of 2014 to 2016, but numbers have vastly changed. Um, many women recounted stories of harassment and unwanted sexual attention throughout their time in the service. One woman relayed that she was placed on specific deck because she would be raped on another specific deck. Mm. And much like many of the predatory tactics in most situations, the culture of grooming is a big problem within the system. The reports show a pattern of senior officers grooming junior officers, whether it is through mentorship or through actual sexual harassment. Um, there's been a correlation of, quote, joking and grooming, for example. The DOD noted that oftentimes perpetrators would use an inappropriate joke to see who would be offended and those who would just go along with it, and more often associated those who would allow such a joke to be easily victimized. 
And though we don't want to go too in-depth about it, the cases involving male victims often begin with hazing practices. And throughout the reports, many often spoke of toxic environments, which would lead to more open acceptance, for lack of a better term, or allowance of such disturbing sexually predatory behaviors. Those who take allegations and joking as serious indications of a larger problem were more likely to acknowledge and prevent incidents on sexual harassment and assault. Um, yeah, so that's right. definitely... That story was so disturbing on yeah. so many levels, but it did have to kind of reopen, or not reopen, just kind of readdress and uh, bring back to light how bad the situation can get if no one acknowledges what's going on. Many questions of why this type of harassment and assault was happening for so long and also how she was so easily dismissed and not found for so long of a time. I know the family has pleaded for some type of policy or regulation in honor of Vanessa's memory to stop such assaults and harassment and or at least put accountable those who would continue such practices and allow such predatory behaviors. Yeah, which seems like the bare minimum. Right. We should think it should have already been there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like... I came, I grew up in a military town, and so you took that military test in high school. And I guess mm-hmm. I did really well on it because they kept calling me, and I, yeah, did, I didn't want to do it. Um, and uh, I remember it was a man who kept calling me, and at one point he said, look, you're going to be like one of the only women, and they're going to be so attracted to you. You're going to have your choice of like men. Um, if like if you want to have sex, you're gonna have as much sex as you want. And I was like 16, maybe, and I just remember feeling so uncomfortable. Wow, that this was like a selling point. Um, that would be grooming right there. Yeah, it was really like even then, like I I laughed nervously because that's sort of what I was taught to do. Right, especially when an adult man is telling you this. Yeah, and he was clearly saying it as though I was going to be over the moon by this information. <laughs> I think he, um, yeah. He, wow. Wow. But, like, if that was just some random recruiter guy talking to a high schooler, that shows the depth of the problem. <laughs> right, Like, right. we've got a and real I, issue, a culture issue to address here. Exactly. And I forgot to add at the beginning that... The soldier who was identified as the perpetrator, his girlfriend was a part of it as well and was Mm -hmm. the one that kind of put some details to the case, which is disturbing in itself. But it has this long line of who is protecting those who who you say are protecting us or should be protecting us and who are protecting those who like, for some reason, um, think that this could be a life-changing thing for them because they want to and not just because they don't have any other choice to. Mm -hmm. Why have we let them down so badly? Yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, we have obviously once again just scratched the surface with this one. As we see the effects of the pandemic and it feels like one crisis after another, we get new information and seemingly more concerns on how we as a community are responding, but it is important that we don't turn a blind eye. And some of the questions are, how are we changing things or how can we change things? And it's kind of repetitive, education. We have to be willing to see the ugliness, even if it makes us uncomfortable and talk about it and make sure that we're being loud and make sure we're not letting the victims or people who are under constant scrutiny be alone and forgotten. 
And uh, action. We have to keep being louder, demanding justice, demanding accountability. If you can, look for ways to volunteer, um, whether it's through helping virtually with a website or checking in on your vulnerable neighbors. Of course, from a distance with a mask. Um, Oh, please. Yes. yes. (laughs) Uh, Care. Caring, too. um, Because we can't give up. We can't give in to being exhausted. just because now now we aren't talking about self-care. If you don't care for yourself and allow yourself to to grow, then you you can't help or change things. So do take that relaxing bath, play an hour of your favorite video games, keep on writing your fan fiction. One of my new favorite sayings is write the fan fiction you want to read in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it can make you tired and it's sad, but we need to keep opening our eyes and keeping watch. We can't just ignore these things. Right. Right. So with that being said, if there's something that you feel like we should be talking about, our resources you'd like to share with us that we could share with listeners about anything we've talked about or anything at all, um, please, please email us. Your, uh, you can send those messages to stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 